0: please. Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, we thank you. I thank you with all my heart for your word. I thank you for your teaching. I thank you, my Father, beyond what words can say, for who you are to us, the things you have accomplished, and the things you are yet to accomplish. We delight in you, Lord, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, come, open our hearts to you, and give us hearing of your mighty word. I pray you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. May I ask you to open your Bibles, We're again in chapter 6 of John... We're going to be in the 6th chapter of John for a few weeks. Uh, We started there last week, and uh, we're still going to be there a few more Sundays. It must be a very important lesson to keep us in chapter 6 for several weeks. Chapter 6 of John, you can open your Bibles, there's Bibles in front of you, you can have yourselves, etc. Whatever you can get to uh, take a look at God's Word. Last Sunday, uh, in my teaching last Sunday, I took you from the area of Bethsaida to the area of Capernaum. And uh, what happened in Bethsaida, which I'm not going to go too much into, it was the feeding of the 5,000 men, I would say plus anybody else that was there, women or children or anyone else. We know that right after that miraculous feeding Jesus sent his disciples to get back on the boat and go over to the side, the western side of the lake, northwestern side, the area of Capernaum, and we know that they were struggling on the sea because of a great storm. We also know that he, um, after the feeding of the 5,000, He sent those people away. Some went away. Some stayed and probably stayed all night around there. Jesus went up a mountain to pray. And in the middle of the night, he comes walking on the water of the lake and meets the disciples in the midst of the lake and uh, calms the the storm and leads them to the rest of the journey uh, to Capernaum. In the morning, the people that were there start looking for Jesus. They start looking for the disciples. They don't find them, and they decide they must have gone over to the other side that was always known kind of as the headquarters of Jesus, the area of Capernaum where Peter's house was. So much happened in that area, so they must have had an idea. He came from there. He must be returning there, and they go there, and they find Jesus, and Last week, I led you through looking at the conversation that ensued once they find Jesus. And they have about five questions that they ask of the Lord, and Jesus answers them all. What we heard in that conversation, which I think is important to us, what we heard in that conversation was jesus saying that he was the bread of life that he was the bread of life in comparison to the bread that they were fed with the day before and for which they wanted more and jesus makes a very important statement of how much men and women How much effort they place in the daily bread at the ignorance of the bread from heaven. At the ignorance of the bread that gives eternal life. How much sweat and tear and time and effort we put into making sure that we have provision for today and yet ignore making provision for eternity. And Jesus says he is the bread of life. Now, I want to teach you something today that I think, uh, I think it is important for us to understand, especially when we look at the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, there are a number of I am sayings of Jesus. I think there's about seven times where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life. Or I am the way and the truth and the life. Or I am the life and the resurrection. Or I am different things. Here we find I am the bread of life. And one of the things that is so interesting about these I am sayings is that they are always, when Jesus deals with people, when Jesus evangelizes, when Jesus presents the gospel, He always looks at to where the people are at that time, what their context is, okay? What they're feeling, what's going on in their surroundings, and here's the key. Jesus always introduces himself into the people's context, He doesn't come from somewhere in left field and starts talking to people about things that they're not in need of at that very moment. He doesn't deal with things that are foreign to what the people are going through. For example, right now he's dealing with people he fed the day before. They're coming looking for more food, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He introduces himself into what's going on. When the Samaritan woman comes and she's looking for water at a well, Jesus says, if you ask me, I would give you water that doesn't go away, water that will satisfy you. At a feast, there may be a feast where lights are lit and all of Jerusalem is lit up and beautiful. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. See how he introduces himself in the context? It's so important to see that at the resurrection of Lazarus, he says to Martha and to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He's always, when he speaks to people, he first looks at where they're at. What is their need? What is their hunger? What is their situation? And notice this. Jesus doesn't say, the answer is in my teachings. The answer is in my doctrines. If you learn this class and you go through that class and you go through that other thing, you'll be fine. What Jesus does is Jesus constantly says, I am. See, it's not about doctrine. It's not how much you learn. It's not how much you do. It's about who you know. And what Jesus is constantly saying, especially through the gospel of John is that he is the answer to the hungers and thirsts and the situations of people. And it's not about what you know or how much you do. It's about whether you receive him and accept him as the answer to your troubles. But he's always introducing himself as the answer. The answer to whatever it is that they're going through. So here in this passage that we're dealing with right now, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And I think that's such an important, an important title to give himself. I am the bread of life. And I, I would want to ask you, when you hear Jesus say to you, I am the bread of life, what does that mean to you? What does it mean? Is it just simply a title, or is there a message that Jesus is giving us in using that title? I am the bread of life. One of the things about bread, whether it's manna, or whether it's any other type of bread, is that if it's going to be effective in you, you have to receive it. You can't have the cupboards or, the, or, or, um, or your pantry full of food and you're starving outside. In order for food to have its effect in you and to keep you strong and healthy and satisfied, you have to take that food, prepare it, and eat it. You must receive it. And one of the things about Jesus is that if you want the kind of life that he is introducing us to, we also have to receive it. We have to welcome it. We have to embrace it, we have to give ourselves to it, and and receive it into our lives. That's one of the things that is important, and Jesus makes that point constantly through this chapter. He constantly is calling us to believe in him and to receive him. That's one of the things about bread. But I want to say to you that I am the bread of life is not just about I am the bread that gives you eternal life. Which is one way we can all take it as. I am the bread that gives you eternal life. And it's true. Jesus is the bread that gives us eternal life. But I think it would be to ignore that Jesus is the one that gives life right here and right now. That he can give life to us where we are in our lives as we live this life and not be looking for eternal life at the end of life. Jesus can give us life, different life, glorious life, joyful life, peaceful life. Eternal life begins the moment that Jesus becomes Lord and Savior of our lives. The life that Jesus offers affects us right here and right now. It can change everything in your life if you're willing to receive it. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, He's talking about, I am the bread that can give you life right now. But I'm also the the bread that will give you life for eternity. All other bread that you eat, you'll have to eat again and again and again. Because the most you can last without eating may be three or four days, five days, maybe 40 days. But beyond that, believe me, you begin to weaken very quickly and your body will decay and you'll begin to die. We have to continue to eat. The thing about the bread of life is that once you receive it, once you receive it, it lasts forever. And forever is a long time. Forever is beyond our years on this earth. Forever is through all the time that we are with the Lord in heaven. Jesus is offering us a bread. Offering us something that we can receive that will transform our lives right here, right now, through our years, until we meet again with him and forever after that. Life eternal begins now. When you say you have life eternal, you already have it. Now you will have life eternal. You have life eternal, it means you have it right now. It's yours. You already begin to live into it. So one of the things we heard Jesus say is that he is the bread of life and that whosoever comes to him will never ever hunger again. And whoever believes in him will never ever thirst. That's one of the things that we heard Jesus say in last week's message. We also heard Jesus say that the Father's seal is on him. The, son's he- the father's hands, the father's authority, the father's authentication is in the son. He has placed his seal. Like when a king writes a letter or a decree and he puts his seal on it, no one there go against that seal because it represents the authority of the one who is the king of the land. And the father says that his seal, his imprint... His authority, his symbol of authentication is in the Son whom he has sent to bring salvation to the world. And we heard that Jesus said that. Jesus said that the seal of the Father is upon him. We also heard Jesus say that whosoever wants to do the work of the Father, that the work of the Father is this, to believe in the Son. That's, that's the work of the Father. It, it, it means there's not a whole lot more you need to do to receive the grace of God. You don't earn it by how much you do. You don't earn it. You don't receive it because your parents were Christians. You don't receive it in any other fashion than believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent to you. That's what Jesus said. He said that the work of God is to believe in the Son whom the Father has sent. And lastly, we heard Jesus say that there is a big difference between the bread of life and manna. Manna may have come miraculously, but Jesus is the miracle of them all. Today I want to take another step in in teaching you what's in this passage in chapter 6 one of the most important things we need to receive today one of the most important things is that you need to understand that salvation is God's initiative not yours salvation is God's initiative There is a real sense in which election is part of it. That it is the Father's will to save. That it is the Father's desire that you and I would come into his embrace. That it is the Father's desire to make all that is wrong right. All that is sinful, saintly and godly that it is the father's desire to return us all back to the garden where we walked in the cool of the morning with the lord and we didn't need to be covered up by shame or blame or anything else where we could live in freedom true freedom is returning to the garden of eden without having to feel any shame or fear or anything that is true freedom If you want to know the freedom of God, we need to learn how do we live within the love of God. Because if God loves you, everything else is all right. So one of the things that is extremely important today is that you understand that when you came to the Lord or when you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, I believe you're not doing God any favors. You're just responding to what God initiated himself. You're just responding to the divine initiative to seek the lost and to seek you in your own context, in your own life, in your own situation. God so loved you that he sent his son to look for you. That he sent his spirit to begin to work in you. That he's begun a process that may have taken years or may have taken days. But he began a process of drawing you. Drawing you could be through a song, through a sermon, through reading scripture, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's not you who received Jesus. It is Jesus who called you and receives you and embraces you and pulls you Toward the love of the Father like no other love there is in the world. The initiative of salvation is the initiative of God. And we find it throughout this chapter, all over. In fact, repeatedly, we are told that Jesus came from the Father. One of the big issues that Jews had, as you read this portion... They had a problem not with Jesus saying he was the bread of life. Anyone could have said that. But they had an issue with him saying that he is the bread better than manna who came from the Father. And they they kept saying, but you're the son of Joseph and the son of Mary. How can you be making these claims that you came from the Father? And Jesus said, it's not that anyone has ever seen the Father except him who came from the Father, and I reveal him to you. It is the Father's initiative to say to the Son, I want you to go down and become man because I want you to save mankind. It is the father's initiative to tell the son that he needed to do this. It is the father's love. It is the father's grace. It is the father's desire that you would come to him. And so he sends the son. Repeatedly in this chapter, we constantly hear that the father sent the son. Several times. Verse 38, verse 39, verse 40, verse 44. That's just in this passage. And there's more. Chapter 6 is longer than that. The other thing that Jesus tells us is that no one comes to the Father or no one comes to him except the Father draws him. No one can come to Jesus out of their own free will. They come because the Father has been drawing them in so many ways. In so many ways he's been pulling you, pulling you, loving you. Let you experiencing his love. Let you experience his peace. Let you experience those moments when you feel you're all alone and God shows up. And the Father's been drawing and drawing and drawing. There is a very famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. Remember that poem? The Hound of Heaven written by an addict, an opium addict. And he writes this poem because he believes with all his heart that God has been after him forever and ever and ever, and God's been pulling him and pulling him, although the opium keeps pulling him away to do all the wrong things and to steal and to do all sorts of things so that he can get his high. The author eventually does die of an opium overdose. But the, the, the poem, the point of the poem is that God is the hound of heaven who just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming because you are so important to him that he will never let go and he will never stop until you get to know him. No one comes to the Son except the Father draws him. That is such a blessing that God takes the initiative to save you. He doesn't wait necessarily until you decide. He begins to work in your life, in the work of your children, in the life of your children, in the life of people. He begins to draw them using all kinds of means. Your own testimony, your own way of life, things they may hear, things they may see around the house, all kinds of things. And begins the process of drawing and drawing and drawing until that person is ready in God's appointed time to make a response to the drawing of God. And Jesus tells us that. Jesus also tells us that there'll be a time when the Father himself will teach them. And that is amazing. The Father is involved in teaching all of us through his word. When we read God's word, God gives us inspiration. God gives us ability. God gives us examples in life. God is constantly in the process of teaching us what it means to be a son or a daughter. God himself is involved in the drawing, the equipping, the teaching of his people. There is a divine initiative. And further, Jesus tells us that the Father has a will and his will is for you. He says that he came at the will of the Father, and the Father said to him that he's not willing that Jesus would lose one single person that would come to him. He will not lose one person. Once you come to Jesus... Not death, not disease, not sword, not travail, not anything will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is no thief that can come in the Father's house and steal the the people that belong to the Lord. Once you belong to God, you belong to God. Jesus says that in no way Jesus will cast out any one of us who takes a chance on him. There's not one of you that will come to Jesus and you'll think Jesus will say to you, I'm sorry, you're too evil. Your sins are too great. You didn't come when I invited you before, so now forget it. Jesus says that there's not one person he will cast out that responds to the Father's invitation. He will not cast out He will receive what the Father gives him. Jesus says that he will lose none. Not to the end of times. Not to eternity. Not one of his sheep will ever be lost. In this life or in the life to come. Jesus says that he will give now eternal life. And he says that he will raise him up at the last day. That is the will of the Father. We are resurrection people. We are people that will be raised at the last day, and death will have no power over any of us. But Jesus also makes the point, not only that it is God's initiative to save but it is imperative, and Jesus makes it the point in all of this chapter, that there is a necessary and required response. He's not going to draw you against your will. At some point, you're going to need to respond to the grace of God. And that's where it says in so many places in this chapter that we must receive the bread of life that we must believe that we must come to him that we must believe see that's our job our job is to believe our job is to trust Him. our job is to come and to respond to the grace of God nothing else because we can earn it in any other way The only thing we can do is that moment that you acknowledge the drawing of the Father in your heart. That pulling in your heart to stand up and say, I believe. That moment when you respond to the love of God, that's the moment that salvation begins. That's the moment. The one thing that is required from you and from us. Is that we respond to the grace and the love of God in whichever way you can receive Jesus sitting in your pew, you can receive Jesus going to an altar call, you can receive Jesus in your in in your house, but you must respond to the grace of God. That is imperative, and you can't do without that. That is your part and my part to respond. By believing, trusting, receiving the Lord. In fact, uh, we are, we're told in, in, uh, in verse 47, I may read ver- verse 47 a moment. It says, most assuredly I say to you, by the way, whenever you find in John uh, words like most assuredly or, um, or words like... Um, um, surely, surely, the, the Greek actually is amen, amen. Okay? In, instead of ending, whenever Jesus wanted to say something important, he didn't put the amen at the end. He put it at the beginning. And you knew that the moment you're going to read, if your Bible says most assuredly, it really means amen, amen, and he repeats it with such power that you need to know he's about to say something extremely important. And he says in verse 47, "A man I say to you, he who believes has everlasting life, has everlasting life, Has life eternal. That is your response. That is the one thing that he asks of you. That is where you turn over your free will to God's will. That is the moment that you say, I may not know everything. I may not understand everything. But I open my heart to you because you are God. So it basically, it may seem like it's my decision, but in a way it's only my response to the divine initiative of God. And then Jesus says in verse 51, which I think it's important, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The bread that I shall give, that bread that I'm asking you to eat, that bread that you must receive, is my flesh. Now, that opened a can of worms. And we're going to deal with it next week. Because the moment that Jesus says to those Jews listening to him, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, man, everything goes haywire. For us, it's easy to understand, because we come to this passage after the cross, and after Easter. But to be hearing for the first time that you have to eat flesh and drink blood, that is not something that is very kosher. But we're going to deal with that issue uh, next week. But what Jesus is saying here is that the bread that he's offering us to eat, that bread that gives eternal life, is his own flesh. And of course, Primarily, it points us to the cross. One thing that you need to notice in John is John doesn't have the words of institution like the other Gospels have. This is my body. Eat, take, this is my body. Drink, this is my blood. John doesn't have that. This is the closest that John comes to a Eucharistic uh, celebration or a Eucharistic speech or speaking about it. But primarily, he's not talking about the Last Supper. He's talking primarily about us receiving him. It is his sacrifice, how we receive that bread that gives eternal life. It is the sacrifice of his flesh. The bread that we are to eat is his flesh. It is his sacrifice It is his body nailed to a cross so that you don't have to die that kind of life. When we embrace the cross of Jesus and we embrace the sacrifice Jesus, we are embracing that bread that gives life eternal. But I also want to take it a step farther. Though primarily it's about Jesus as the lamb that is sacrificed, I think in many ways it is not pointing us away necessarily from the Holy Eucharist. I think John draws us to the Holy Eucharist because Jesus did say, taking bread, he says, this is my body. This is that flesh I was talking about. And taking a cup of wine, he says, and this is my blood. This is what I was talking about. In symbol every day, you can receive the Eucharist and you can receive the body and the blood of Jesus. But let me tell you, many people can come here and receive bread and wine and still not have Jesus in their lives. Because unfortunately and sadly, I can't read in your foreheads, I'm a real Christian or no, I'm faking you. I can't read it. You come and you say, give me. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you believe. I still place that bread in your hands. But God knows. God knows who he's been drawing. God knows who he's saved. And God knows who's receiving the efficacy of the Eucharist and who's not. But when you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, And you've received him in your spirit. You've received his sacrifice of body and blood. When you come to the Eucharist, he is indeed very present because he commanded us. He commanded us that we celebrate this whenever we gather together in remembrance that he gave us his body and his blood. And I believe with all my heart by the power of the spirit in a mysterious way that I cannot explain that the bread is indeed the body of Jesus. And the blood is indeed or the the wine is indeed the blood of Jesus. And I have biblical reasons to believe that. It is not that the bread turns into flesh, but in a spiritual manner, it is very much the body of Christ that you and I receive. And that Paul speaks about in Corinthians when he says that there are those who receive it, and and they receive it wrongly, and that's why they're weak, and they're sick, and they die, because they're not receiving all of the benefits of the Eucharist, because they receive it wrong. There is a right way and a wrong way. And without faith in Jesus Christ, it is wrong to receive the Eucharist. Without a surrendered life to Jesus Christ, it is wrong to receive the bread and the wine. Because you're not discerning the reality of the body and the blood of Jesus. So Jesus says in this passage we're dealing with today, That the initiative of salvation is the Father's and the Son's and the Holy Spirit. But there is an invitation to you to respond. We must respond. And in that response, the love of God just overflows us. Salvation comes upon us. And eternal life begins at that very moment of faith. And I want to say to you and I want to invite you today that you make this day your day of salvation. You make this day your day of salvation. I don't know if there's anyone in this church that has not yet received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I I don't know that. Only you would know if you have indeed responded with an open heart and a sincere desire for Jesus to be in your life. If you have, I say to you, fantastic. If you have not, I want to pray with you. I want to have an opportunity to share with you. Perhaps at the end of the service, we can just meet here for a brief moment. I mean, I can do an altar call right here and right now. I'm not opposed to it. But I want to give you the time because I don't want it to be emotional. I want it to be rational. I want it to be your decision to respond to the grace of God. And if you have never said to the Lord, I receive you, I give you my life, I give you my heart, this is the day that you can begin to eat the bread of life and receive Jesus into your life. So at the end of the service, I'm going to be up here. And anyone who wants to pray with me, come. And if you need to reaffirm your commitment to the Lord, come. Because I don't want ever to be any doubt that the message of Jesus got through. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me says Jesus will never, ever hunger again. And whoever believes in me will never, ever thirst. Doesn't mean we're not left with questions and things that we don't completely comprehend, it just means that we're willing to trust Jesus. We're willing to trust our Father, and we're willing to trust Him enough by surrendering our lives, our wills, and our decisions to Him. I pray God leads you and me today and always to live the gospel the way Jesus has preached it. Stand with me, please.